0: Welcome, and thank you for listening to Optics in Action, where we showcase leaders with vision and clarity. My name is Ryan Weiss, founder and CEO of EPS. Our team is focused on enabling companies to align people and process for increased revenue, profitability, and scalable growth, while reducing the frustrations of your employees and customers. If you or someone you know is interested in applying to be a guest on this podcast, You can find more information at podcast.epsoptics.com. Let's get to our next guest. Hi, my name is Ryan Weiss, and I'm the founder of Effective Performance Strategy. And I am honored and excited to have here today, Dr. John Knight, Dr. John is a rocket scientist with experience leading teams at large organizations like IBM and NASA and Corning and Thermo Fisher. And we're going to be talking to him today about the alignment of people and process to accelerate performance. With his experience in rocket science and with his experience in leading these teams, we got a lot to learn from him. And I think we're going to have an amazing discussion together. So Dr. John, welcome, and thank, thank you. you for spending this time in the studio today. I
1: look forward to talking with
0: you. <laughs> well, Dr. John, it is such a pleasure to have you. We've uh, known each other for the past several months. We've gotten to know each other kind of through the book writing process, right. and both of us writing books. Yours is about rocket science retirement. The first book I wrote is called From Orangutan to Rocket Scientist, <laughs> and it was a crazy name for a book But there's a story about an orangutan. Okay. And The story about this P5 rocket, the purpose is the nose cone of your rocket ship. It's where you go and why you go there. The product or your payload sort of is the second one. That's the value that you create. The uh, people, who are the people on your rocket ship or, or on the ground crew? What's the performance of your rocket ship look like? And what's the process that enables your people to perform, to create value, and ultimately fulfill that purpose? And uh, and as you and I got to know each other, and I started thinking about this rocket ship that I've built my business around, and then I started to get to know you, Dr. John, and, uh, and I want to start by getting you to introduce yourself, okay. talk a little bit about yourself. I understand you've got five degrees, correct? that you're a rocket scientist, well, right. retired rocket scientist, <laughs> and you've applied a lot of these principles as you've gone throughout life. So. Um, why don't you start by introducing yourself a little bit okay. and telling us about who you are and how you came to be a rocket scientist?
1: <laughs> so let me maybe start from the beginning. Um, grew up in a small town outside of Seattle called Bremerton, Washington. That small town is a naval base for the military, and so ships would come in and dock there and uh, deposit ten thousand families in the small town Bremerton, and my father and my mother met at one of those kind of dating opportunities. And so I grew up in that kind of an environment, a very wholesome family. Um, and then what was interesting was that in about the sixth grade, I started thinking about math and fell in love with math. And so one of my stories is that I, um, in the sixth grade, I could sit down and do my entire math homework for the week in one sitting. And I'd go back to the teacher and I'd say, is there more? Is there more? And so that's not
0: very common. <laughs> How many people in sixth grade are asking for more math? That's a great start.
1: So, my mother then realized that I had this gift for, for math. And so, she encouraged me and pushed me to just do well in math. And so, by the time I finished high school, I had taken every math course that existed. At that time frame, you couldn't really start college until you finished high school. So, I finished high school uh, and then went away to college. But then uh, I kind of went into my little world of, this is just too good to be true and so i kind of went off and did my own thing and got some maybe a little bit of trouble or at least started trying to get in trouble and my pastor grabbed me by the collar one day and pulled me back and said look <laughs> this isn't happening <laughs> you're too smart for this you are now the youth pastor of our church and so he's then introduced me to god and grew up in the church um, environment anyway and started trying to say look there's more to life than just Having fun and doing things and hurting people and having fun and then doing something stupid. So get back on track with life. Um, I, I then uh, went to college, quit, tried to go to the Air Force, thinking that maybe I can be an astronaut because there was this big fanfare at the time frame about space, and so I wanted to be an astronaut. So I went back to school and I went back to school with a vengeance. I ended up with a 3.75 double major in math and physics in 1974. Now think about the environment in 1974 for an African-American, lots of money available, lots of opportunities available. You just had to apply yourself. And so IBM yeah. found me and said, you know, here's an opportunity for you. We'll put you on site at NASA to be in the first cohort to work on space shuttle. And I said, like, huh?
0: (laughs) (laughs) What an opportunity.
1: So 20 years old, you're on site with a top secret badge walking around NASA working on a space shuttle. Um, The idea was to build the software for this craft. And you were responsible for a portion of that software. And so that's how I got started in this whole world of being a rocket scientist.
0: That's an incredible story. So as you think about that history, as you think about Sort of getting involved in that. And you, it sounds like you came from a very technical background, similar myself, right? I uh, I spent some time with uh, math and chemistry, like my degrees in chemistry right. and then finance, right? right? So very technical background. And I think that's part of the reason we've kind of hit it right. off as we've gotten to know each other. Um, as you think about the technical background and that technical stuff that got you to that point, one of the key things in my next book and, and what we're working on is, what I call optics, mm-hmm. it's the alignment of people and process to accelerate performance. Mm-hmm. And when I think about optics, when I think about the word optics, it's this, it has two meanings. Mm-hmm. It's the study of light, mm-hmm. right? The study of light mm-hmm. and lenses and all those things. And then there's this optics, which is the, uh, the perceptions of people. Mm-hmm. So there's this people and process to accelerate performance. As you think about your career as a 20-year-old young man walking around NASA, walking around with the IBM top secret clearance, right? you had these technical aspects, these technical elements that that put you in that place. Mm -hmm. What about the people who you were engaged with and that brought you in? And How did that all work?
1: Yeah, yeah. so what was was very interesting was, and I felt so honored um, when my teacher stood up before us and said, we have combed the country to find the smartest people we could find. And sitting in that class as being acknowledged as one of the smartest people in the country right now was a, just a tremendous honor. So I look around my other cohorts and say to myself like that, we are the cream of the crop. Um, and for that time frame, it was just incredible. As I look back now, what was going on in my life, I, I, I didn't really feel that necessary that sense of all the, the awe that was happening around me. It was just like, I was just a kid trying to do something different and be different. And make a, a contribution, and so it is important to have the right people. And and IBM and NASA and all the companies around the country, McDonnell like Douglas, the people in Washington D.C. were really after trying to find the best and brightest people to put in that project because this was something that had never been done before. And so you want to put your best foot forward in, in terms in, in terms of putting that together. And so when I think about even going back to businesses that I've worked for and led organizations, it has always been about trying to find the right people, and put the right people in the right seats at the right time.
0: Well, tell us a little bit about the technical part of being a rocket scientist during that time, the shuttle algorithms you told me before, putting 10 pounds of software into a five pound box. That's that's mind blowing in 2023. (laughs) Tell me about the technical part and then we'll talk about the people learnings that you had during that time. So at
1: that time, the thought process was we had successfully launched Apollo. And so we had learned some things about what was happening with Apollo. Well, now we're talking about just going up and then coming back down. And then we had gone to the moon. And so we had learned a lot of things associated with going to the moon in terms of the astronauts. But now we're talking about sending a rocket ship and bringing it back to earth without having to go through that whole process of rebuilding everything from scratch. So the technical challenges were there. And so things like, uh, if so, an area that I worked in was in the software area. So the idea was to how do you build uh, Computers at that time, and I think about computers that are probably a little less dumber than our iPhones today. (laughs) A little bit. And they were taking rooms. I'm talking about maybe a 100,000 square feet of space to put five computers in one room in order to try to figure out how to get this. So the idea was that you take a launch in an orbit and then the reentry. And the key is, how do you measure all the aspects of space shuttle? and the astronauts and the environment. So the challenge we had was to try to figure out what do you do and how does the software work together? What kind of systems do you put in place to monitor the astronauts, to monitor the spacecraft? And when everybody put all their requirements in, in terms of what they wanted to to see, in terms of data, I mean, it was probably like 20 pounds of sugar that you were trying to put into a five pound bag. (laughs) And so the idea was, what what can you do? What can you live with and what can you live without? For example, um, that spacecraft is traveling 17,000 miles per second. Yeah. So you want to make sure that thing is moving and you have an idea of where it's going. So one little adjustment to an actuator, send that craft a whole different direction. So you want to know, at that time frame, millisecond level. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so so let's, let's think about this. You, you've sort of articulated a few of the P's in this concept of the P-5 rocket, the, the purpose. You were saying, we've already been to the moon and back at that point. You've already, you know, you've already kind of done some of these things, and or NASA has already done some of these things. The purpose of what you were working on was: we've got to get a rocket out into space, into orbit, and then re-enter and uh, and reusable, right? So, Correct. so you're talking about that was the purpose. That was the purpose? What was the payload that was happening? What was the payload or the product? What was the value of this? Why were you working
1: on? It? Yeah, so so. What NASA wanted to do was to try to figure out how do we begin to start improving technology across everything? Mm-hmm. So all these companies wanted to ha- have different kind of experiments first on in zero gravity. That's it was the whole start of it. And then the thought process, well, it, instead of just going up and doing an experiment and coming back, why don't we just build a, a space station where we could send our experiments up there and do longer space, longer study. Because they really intended to go, how far can we really go? I mean, people want to go to Mars. (laughs) People want to go to Jupiter. They want to go all over the place, you know. But there's a lot of challenges associated with space travel. And so a space station was the first idea to take along all these experiments and send them to the space station and run these experiments on an ongoing basis. And then all of a sudden, the other thing was the whole militarization of the the, 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 the uh, various satellites that are up there. Yeah, you know, excellent. Because you got a lot. Of, you think about there's satellites now watching everything. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so, so you've got this this clear purpose, right? And if, and what I like to say in terms of organizations is, if the purpose is misaligned, mm-hmm. right? If you're, if you think the purpose is to launch satellites, but the purpose is really to colonize Mars. Those are two completely Correct. different shuttle designs, right? Correct. So an organization has to know what's the purpose, where Correct. are we going, why are we going there? Then you've got that payload. So like you said, the astronauts being able to go up, humans can humans stay in space for how long? You know, you, you needed some Correct. learnings around that. You talked about the performance measurements. You talked about milliseconds of performance and seventeen thousand miles per hour, and you know the the data that was having to be. Uh, compiled and processed in that short period of time. Then you had the people, so you had the astronauts. Mm -hmm. You mentioned earlier about wanting to be an astronaut initially, (laughs) but then becoming a a rocket scientist instead. Um, Why did you end up becoming a rocket scientist instead of an astronaut and fulfilling that dream? Well, that's
1: a a very interesting story. So coming out of high school, I joined the Air Force, because one of the things that you have to do is you have to be a pilot in order to be considered to be an astronaut, so a military service. Uh, to fly. So I went and joined the Air Force and thinking I was going to go do the normal training to be a pilot and eventually compete for the, one of the spaces on Space shuttle as, a, as an astronaut. Uh, but I'm colorblind. I have a red to green deficiency. Um, I still can see all the primary colors, but if you look at a rainbow, I see the primary colors, but I don't see all the colors in between. So Got it's it. one yellow band, <laughs> one red
0: band.
1: Got it. Yeah. <laughs> and so I, I, said, I said, well, wow, if I can't fly it, then what do i do uh, that then was my motivating thought around go back to school and go back to school with a vengeance. so imagine 1974 walking down an aisle with a, an advanced degree or, or a degree a double major in math and physics um and and uh, and, and the, the rest is history um it was for a 20 year old kid this is a huge yeah. honor um uh, first in our family, our immediate family, to graduate from, ho- from college. Um, and so that was a big deal during that time frame. This is 1974. Yeah. And most of us probably aren't around in <laughs> 1974.
0: <laughs> yeah. So so you, so you mentioned a few of the things here. So you, we've talked about purpose, the payload, the uh, the, the performance metrics the, and then having the right people in the right mm-hmm. seats. So you were colorblind, so you weren't qualified to right. be an astronaut, but you were qualified to work on the rocket ship and, right. and you know do these different elements right. and i think it's really essential in any organization to have the right people in yes. the right seats some people are astronauts some people are ground crew <laughs> some people are engineers some people are right, right. And, and having the right people in the right seats and then you also sort of referred to the nuance of process you said you know you you change the you know adjust yeah. something just a little bit and you're not going to end up on the moon you're right. going to end up <laughs> you know launching out into space somewhere in some crazy direction. So the core of what I work on is a, in sort of my core belief, is that clearly aligned processes should enable people to perform, to create value, to fulfill the purpose of that organization or that team that they're working on. And I, I see the alignment of all of these things. Do you see that alignment or can you tell me, how, how do you see that alignment through sort of that lens of your work at IBM and NASA does that, you know, how does that fit
1: in? So you bring back a story that I've given a chance to, I, I did not get a chance to work on, but it was clearly one of the biggest mistakes NASA had made when we sent out the Hubble telescope. Uh, the idea, perfect idea, send a craft that can travel beyond our imagination today um, and just observe and send that information back. Well, the lens on that craft was wrong. Somebody made a mistake. Uh, and they put the wrong lens in there, or at least the design of the wrong lens, and it wasn't sending the information that needed to go back. So, if you remember correctly, they sent a craft back up there to replace the lens in the Hubble telescope. I don't recall that. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> so,
0: that wasn't your mistake. That wasn't then, my right? mistake. That wasn't <laughs> my mistake. But it,
1: at that, it's, it, it goes to the point of if you make sure you have, it, you might have the right purpose, but the process of getting there was misaligned. Yeah. And it cost millions. To go back and redo that process to send just that lens up there and have that thing taken and then at the same time because you build something that's so unique and different now you're trying to and replacing the lens on earth is one thing but replacing that same lens in space was another thing wow so there was a lot of different kinds of things that had to take place for people to really kind of get aligned with the process and making sure they were on track with the purpose they were starting with that's right. And so uh, that pop- that's the story that it, it, it just brings up so much about how important yeah. that the process, the people and the performance, performance. It, yeah, the performance yeah. all has to be aligned. It all has to be aligned. All all has to be aligned well. Yeah. Very well.
0: Yeah. So let's uh, let's take a little bit of a step forward. So you learned all this stuff in rocket science. You were working at IBM and NASA, working on the shuttle, working on algorithms, those types of things, but that technical stuff. As you moved into your career, then you started working at companies like Corning right. and Thermo Fisher and, you know, some other, other companies throughout your career. You're even the, uh, commissioner, building commissioner <laughs> in Chicago. So yeah. you've had quite an expansive career in different countries and all these different things. So when you think about the technical stuff that you learned as mm-hmm. a rocket scientist, when you learn, think about that type of stuff, how did that prepare you? to engage with people to perform, to lead teams and lead organizations?
1: So as a math major, there's a concept that is very unique to us mathematicians. And I think I use that tool throughout my career to advance the opportunities. And here's the concept. As a mathematician, you take a very complex problem and you break it into its smaller components and you solve the smaller components first and then you bring it all back together to solve the overall solution. It's a very unique skill that many mathematicians take for granted. And I use that concept throughout my career. So going to a company and having, like for example, one of the companies I worked with, we had a, um, it was a laser company, laser technology. They were really focused on building a device that could do um, analysis for blood and different kinds of chemicals that they could pass through that can check out the different uh, sizes of the molecules. But the problem was in that particular situation, we didn't have the knowledge that we really thought we had, not only to make it to do the science, but then the next question became the user interface. Mm. And the two were misaligned, clearly misaligned. We spent millions of dollars trying to build a technology that wasn't going to work because we were misaligned in the people. Because it's not so much the people doing the work, it was the people trying to use the equipment. Yeah, and so there's always that big this distraction between between the two of them, but in co- throughout corporate, um, using the idea behind taking complex problems, solving them to their, breaking them down to their smaller components that are solvable, and then bringing it back together was really the key to my the key key to my success.
0: Excellent, excellent. So I've got sort of a mantra that I've developed that uh, people without process mm. get frustrated. And the corollary is that process without people is wasted. Mm-hmm. And so if you think about sort of the, that example you were just giving mm-hmm. about mm-hmm. you've got this process, you've got this technology, you've got this stuff, but if the user interface doesn't work, what happens? Right. right? It's wasted. On the other hand, if you've got great people, if you've got a, amazing people, but you don't have the right process or right technology to enable them to do what they need to do, then they're going to get frustrated. Right. So how, how did that play into some of this it, with that laser uh, project that you had and, and worked on? You had some people involved, yeah. in that, I think. So well, uh,
1: right? let, me do, let me move to another example. So um, <laughs> the one I, I, I love the story the, the, the glue.
0: <laughs> well, I'm an old glue guy. I know. I I know. <laughs> in the glue industry. So.
1: So, so we were assigned this project to build the laser sighting equipment for a, a device that was going to go on top of a, of a tank gun. Um, for Iraq for the war and so the idea was that we would we could see it in a laser where we were going to point the tank gun and we were going to fire off the, the projectile and destroy the target well somehow or another that became misaligned and it was firing and people were actually getting hurt and so the big company came down on us and said like what's going on with this thing so here we had a misalignment again of people and processes and so we spent it was about six months studying every aspect of that laser sighting equipment, and to come to find out that it was a glue <laughs> that was holding a part down that was coming unglued <laughs> because of the atmosphere that it was on the conditions it was in in Iraq. And everybody tested everything in terms of the you know the glue and everything else. But what we come to find out was the glue got switched because somebody was trying to save a nickel a gallon on the glue. And and that was all the manufacturers were buying the same glue, and so it, everybody started having a similar kind of problems. But in our particular case, it became a misalignment, um, and and it just it's just so important that the whole team is on the manufacturer, the suppliers, you know, the company building the product. I mean, there was a situation where we were not communicating, and then we had a misalignment that caused us a malfunction in our product, yeah. and, and and hurt people, and probably missed probably lost lives in that whole process. So, yeah. so your, to your point, it is absolutely critical, critical for that alignment to be there. Yeah. So, it-
0: Dr. John, one of the things that in some of our previous conversations you've talked about is reinventing yourself uh-huh. every 10 years. <laughs> I understand that you have five degrees, yes. including the, you know, math and science. You've got a doctorate. You've got like, five different degrees. So tell me about this reinvention of yeah. yourself every 10 <laughs> years and why that's important to you.
1: So I probably figured it out later in life than while I was going through it. The thought process came up with about every 10 years, you got to go through a process of asking yourself, who am I now? And how do I prepare myself for the next opportunities ahead? So if I look back at my career, come out of NASA, great opportunity, now thrust in the business and the thought process, well, I can't really do this without some more training. So I went back and got my MBA. Uh, two math degrees, now the MBA, and the MBA now propelled me into the opportunity to do business. And then I did that for a number of years. And then uh, at toward the end of that, I was thinking about retirement. My father was a uh, was a past assistant pastor of the church, and so he was always talking to me about the church. And I grew up in the church and very close to the church all my life. And so thinking about being a pastor might have been something that I could see myself doing in retirement. Um, but then I ran into a situation where it just wasn't feeling the right way to go. And so I asked my pastor, I says, you know, is this something I really need to go pursue or he made a profound statement to me. Um, and it says, many are called, but few are chosen. Mm-hmm. And if you want chosen for that role, don't do it. And so I ran.
0: This is a fit between the, your, uh, process yep. right the the skills that you've got the technology the technical skills and the people right the right. personality and, right and how these things they, they, link they, together. they, they, they
1: didn't link together and so and then i went into higher education which then required the doctorate degree and that's how the five degrees but the whole idea though was that as i look back now i had to reinvent myself and i used the education as a tool to reinvent myself for the next opportunity ahead i love companies like Corning. Um, how many ways have you have they reinvented sand over the next 100, almost 100 years now?
0: It's incredible. They've, <laughs> they've sold a lot of sand over here for right. way more money than what you can imagine scooping up a cup of sand for, right? Right. You know, right. That's exactly. tell, exactly. tell us about exactly. that. Exactly. Yeah. And same thing
1: with Quaker Oats. How many ways have they reinvented Quaker Oats? You know, you look at what we had when I was growing up, as cereal and what we have today in terms of cereal that Greg Oakfield is capitalizing the market on. And So, so the idea is that keeping yourself fresh and focused on trying to do, reinvent yourself. One of my other philosophies is that it's like, I have this, I call the 17 year rule. Every, so first 17 year, young, dumb, whatever you want to call it, and just doing stupid stuff, okay? <laughs>
0: <laughs> We've all been there. We've
1: all been there. But that second 17 years is your most critical second 17 years because now you've got to get a chance and take your career and get it on a launch pad and keep it going forward because at about 34 years old, that career path will either level off, continue to upward climb, or begin to uh, decline. So you want to be very, very careful that you make that next 17 years your critical. You and I were talking to your son about that same story as well. It's so critical. So at 34, four years old, I look back in my career and say to myself, like, whoa, vice president of this, president of this, general manager of this. So the trajectory kept going. And then you've got about 51, it changes again. Yeah. And so if you take that trajectory of your 17 years and lay on top of that a like, career change for yourself, because when I grew up, the, the thought process was coming along with that you're not going to be in a company for 40 years yeah. and retire. You know people were saying in that, that time frame about five to ten years in a company and then you are gonna have to change and if you i look back now that's happening and that and everybody's got unless you have your own business that's what people are going through and so yeah. companies have to really got to be thinking about where their people are today and where they're going and where they want them to be four or five years from now yeah. because all these things are going to change and they're going to continue to change and so that that whole understanding of how do you manage develop and grow people to the roles you want them in the future to be in is so critical. And unfortunately, to some degree, that's a lost art today. Yeah,
0: yeah. And it's a big challenge. So so all right, so you got 17, 34, 51. I think I don't I don't wanna specify your age. I'm not exactly okay. sure what it is, but you're closer to 68 now, right? No, I'm so,
1: se- i I'm, I'm 71 years old. All
0: right, old. so even over 60. So so that's another pivotal moment for a lot of people in right. their
1: careers. Right. And and so seniors today, I tell them work as long as you can and save as much as you can. Because the key is not so much how much you make. And I tell people today, I don't care how much you make. It's how much can you convert that into a monthly income for the rest of your life? Mm -hmm. Because we're all gonna live well beyond 2050. Um, And so if you look at these last 25 years, the world will be very different if you look at these next 25 years. Things like we take it for granted, Medicare, Social Security, peace around the world. (laughs) A lot of things we have taken for granted are not going to be the same anymore. Yeah. So putting money to work for yourself and that then leads me into why I started what I do now. I've launched the company called Rocket Science Retirement. Um, I've read it, we're writing our second book now, um, Rocket Science Retirement, you know, guide to successful planning and launching your retirement plan. Yeah, so That's all I do behind
0: that. I think there's a lot of interesting stuff that we've kind of chatted about as well that on that trajectory of life towards retirement so you've reinvented yourself a bunch of times rocket scientist (laughs) business leader you know you've gone to moody you know you've got this uh, pastoral experience Mm -hmm. as well and uh, and now rocket science retirement so you've reinvented yourself multiple times along the way and as you think about now this new journey of helping people prepare for retirement you've got uh, same five P's are <laughs> applicable, right? That's the absolutely. purpose at, at any stage of life, that purpose, where are you going and why are you going there? Why is it important to save for retirement? Then you've got the value. What's the value of your portfolio and uh, and what value does it need to have? And then there's performance, right? There's, right. Uh, there's growth rates and are you investing in stocks or bonds or things like that? Performance metrics. Then you've got the people in your life. And the people in your life can have such an impact on your planning for retirement and the direction of your retirement. And they've got the processes. What habits and behaviors are you putting in place? So I think these five P's apply to rocket science, (laughs) to business, and then to the retirement, as you just kind of started talking about.
1: Right. And, And as I think about business, there was so much value that people lost along the way trying to think through. How do you move companies certain directions? So one one of one of the examples I think about is um, if a young kid. They lose their president. You're now the new president, and you walk into an organization. And the first thing that I always did was evaluate the people. Mm. Take the time to get to know the people, understand the people's potential, and make sure people are in the right seats. Because one of the misalignments I constantly saw when I went into new companies. Was that people were in wrong seats and companies were just driving people pushing them to go forward to do things that just wasn't gonna just wasn't wasn't, fit, wasn't fitting um i remember going to a company in our, down in, in connecticut again we made um specialized lenses and optics kind of equipment and there were many many people that were in wrong seats and so some people left uh, one example was the chief scientist left the engineering guy was the one to take the chief scientist position. Uh, we talked about it. We tried it for a while, but we realized that there was a misalignment. There's a difference process associated with a scientist and someone who is a chief engineer. Mm. And they just, they, they just did, it just didn't it didn't work. And so you have to be very careful when you think about how do you begin to start aligning people with the processes and the projects that they are responsible for? Yeah, um, it's that I don't think people value how important people are in organizations, as we did back in the '70s and '80s. Now I've seen a big trans- transformation, uh, and I, but I think there's some value. One of the things that I would encourage you to think about is how do you push companies to get back to really understanding and working with people and making people a value because this is your it's your most important asset. When you lose a person, I saw this. I lost hundred twenty thousand sci- dollar chief scientist. And it cost me probably $200,000 over time to replace
0: them. Sure. And I had to pay them more. <laughs> yeah. and, and I'm sure it delayed the project I, and everything oh, else. So there was probably much bigger financial impact than just that replacement of that individual.
1: I, I think about there was this guy at NASA. He was kind of one of the, the, the smartest guys around. So when we run a, a simulation at night of the launch and we had a computer error, they would dump the computer brain, if you will on paper, and they would be just boxes of ones and zeros.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> I mean, boxes of ones and zeros, because it was in the hexadecimal hexadec- hexadec- uh, um, numbers we were reading at the time. He would take that, those dumps, and he would go through it page by page and pay- and look for the error. Lose in the middle of that process would have cost us a fortune Yeah, in, in that timeframe, because we didn't have people who could do what he did. Mm-hmm. And, and And I think, Companies have those kind of people and they've got to find them and they've got to nurture them. And they've got to make sure that they want to stay. Not stay, but want to stay and 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 continue to add that value back into the, the organization. That's a oh. great,
0: great perspective. <laughs> so you mentioned a story about glue a little bit earlier, and I think it is such a parallel, such a story that's related to this alignment of people and process to accelerate performance. You mentioned this concept of there was a glue on <laughs> uh, on a laser site that, under certain conditions, maybe didn't perform the way it was expected, and there was a reason that glue was selected, and uh, and the impact that that had. So tell me, so what was important about the glue? Why was the glue important? Yeah. First of all,
1: yeah. So when you put these equipment together, uh, again, based on our technology at that time frame. <laughs> You know, glue had to hold something down and mm-hmm. then the laser had to do something there and you had to integrate this and you had to have the electronics to talk to the systems and everything else. So all that being said, the idea was that once you put all that together, it was functioning well in a test lab. And so obviously we would take the equipment and, and we would crank up the temperature and the humidity trying to simulate this, the environment it was going in. And so we would test these things and it would work in the lab. Yep. But so, so this th- is the
0: process stuff. This right. is the technical this, this
1: is the stuff. The process As stuff, right.
0: best you can do you're, you're testing out the process. So then what
1: happened? You, you take this uh, this equipment, and you ship it to the manufacturer who then takes it, puts it, puts, it, puts the, the tank gun together and ships it to Iraq to so be used in real operation. Yeah. Well, during that time frame, we didn't realize that somebody had changed the formula of the glue. And so now, while it performed well in our lab, it was failing in the field and so having to use at that time electron microscope to understand the product and field because we had couldn't go back to our test and then trying to examine every component yeah. and trying to figure out okay what was happening yeah. and simulating and simulating and trying to figure it out using all the math and the, the smartest people we could find and coming back somebody came back with, a, with, a, with an experiment and said i did this i did this i did this and this failed i did this i just succeeded Pointed back to the fact the glue, we called the manufacturer the glue. So, like, here are our specifications. Are you meeting our specifications? Oh, yeah, my, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But you changed something.
0: And who changed something? Somebody in purchasing or some, something. Somebody. And, and they were going <laughs> to save a nickel a gallon. A nickel, or, yeah, something pur- like that. Some
1: purchasing guy bought a different glue. Uh, and, and the, just to make sure that he can save nickel and because yeah. Everybody's and under pressure, just, to cut costs.
0: This is the alignment of people and process to accelerate performance. If everybody's not aligned in the same way for the same objective, right. somebody's getting motivated to save their, probably his performance bonus that year was based on how much cost saving do you bring to the company? And he saves five cents, right? And, and so he does what he needs to do. But when people throughout the entire system not, are not aligned right. together, in the right mindset with the right ideas, then what happens? It, it, everything can fall apart. Well,
1: here's here's another story that uh, I, I was managing. And so we had this this fiber optic network in the Northeast part of the country. It was working well. And then one day it just shut down and we couldn't figure out what happened. And so we were making fiber optic um, amplifiers. That was our, our, our product. And they were putting these things in this this mild ne- network Inside um, the optic network of the Northeast. Well, one day it all failed, and people's like, "What happened?" And so we went back through the science, brought the devices back in, taking them apart piece by piece, looking at every component, studying it, trying to figure out what happened, what caused this failure. In the meantime, it's at our cost <laughs> trying to figure out how to replace and keep this network going that, uh, that we that we had, and to come to find out that somebody replaced a nickel part, nickel being the material, with a stainless steel part. It looked the same. They thought it would perform better, but it didn't because they're not even dealing with corrosion, and that's what caused the network to fail. So at our cost, we had to pull up miles of fiber optic network because somebody made a decision to replace a nickel component with a, a stainless steel component that had corrosion on it.
0: So even people with great intentions, right? Even people with great intentions can can mess up the whole system right. if the system is not understood, Correct. If, it, if everything's not understood. So, so what are some of the things in your experience? How have you brought people and process together to be more successful? What have you learned from those things? What have you done in your career to bring that alignment of people and yeah. process together?
1: Yes, I have a good example. Um, I had just gotten out of... Um, IBM and working for NASA, they'd gone to the phone company. So working for Ameritech and I had got put in charge of the um, the process of trying to figure out how to improve communications and tools and technology in the small business arena. So uh, so general manager running an organization, about 12,000 people, um, and it was just a found a phenomenal job. Here again, young 20 something year old kid. <laughs> Managing a billion-dollar budget for a phone company. It was just yeah. amazing. But one of the things that was interesting was that um, I realized that there was something missing in talking just to the employees. And so we were on a, we were working on a project, and we were trying to figure out how to do 911 on cellular. And so what we decided was, and I decided, I said, let's do something different. Let's just not talk about the different departments inside the company but let's invite our vendors to be a part of what we're trying to do. So I had a monthly staff meeting with my team and the vendors integrated together, and we worked as one big team. And we finally figured out how to solve a a very complicated problem. People are falling down in 911 was not a big deal on landline.
0: (laughs) (laughs) This is, so some of the people who watch this might not even understand or think about the concept of landlines, right? My, my, my son has never seen a landline to, to start with. So, you know, you sort of think about this, but that, that is actually a really interesting problem. I remember when cell phones were first coming out, the, the, there were like, um, there was some type of user agreement you had right. to say that uh, you know I understand that this may not you know be used in a nine one one situation. They may not know my right. exact location. Right, right, like right. that type of thing was a right. very big <laughs> very deal real. when, when real. cell phones first That's came right. out. Right. Because everybody was used to landlines picking up the phone and saying I've got an emergency and the fire department knew exactly where to come. Now all of a sudden you have a different situation.
1: So, so my team and the thing people I work with that we've created some really unique. Timeframes of technology to launch where we are today. Um, that whole nine one one story again. The nine one one didn't exist for cell cell phones. So bring that team, the people together that were both internal as well as external people, and bring. They came up with a solution that we figured out and found a company. that got to do some triangulation work for us. Found another company to do this kind of other kind of work for us. So we were able to actually demonstrate that you could dial a nine one one on a cell phone. And triangulate between three different cell towers and find you within two hundred feet, mm-hmm. and that was the start. That was the start of nine one one. They actually continued to refine that. The second thing we, we, we created was today we have this old geo map theme, but at that time frame, uh, one of the jobs I was in was trying to help the phone company figure out what they were going to do with nine one one because at that time, when you dial nine one one, you just an operator picked up and said, okay, no problem. Give me the address, dispatch the person out there. Well, one time they dispatched a, a, what they call, we call it a paddy wagon, the big box ambulance to a parking garage where a woman was in her car having her baby. And we wanted the ambulance to get there in time to help her, help her out. Cause they called nine one one, the garage couldn't, it the uh, paddy wagon. Yeah, we cell phone <laughs> all
0: especially early on, they didn't work could very that, well. right.
1: They yep. could, couldn't get the paddy wagon through, and so we didn't have the geo mapping information to send the smaller ambulance Same thing happened with we sent. Oh, so you're
0: saying even technically The ambulance was too big. Too big. To get, big. It. You know, yeah. same, same thing would
1: happen. Oh, there was a situation, an incident in Detroit where someone called nine one one for domestic violence that was happening next door, but next to them was a gang, a known gang house. So when the, when, the, when the police showed up for domestic violence with their sirens and their lights flashing, they thought they were coming to get them. Mm. They opened fire on the police officers when they would actually go into domestic violence, the domestic disturbance. And so not knowing that information, yeah. and so the whole geo-mapping process started because we explained to people that if you're going to have a 911 infrastructure, you need to know where you're sending your people.
0: Yeah. So the, the, this goes back to that alignment of people and process. Right. Thing. That if the process and technology are not there to give the people the officers or the ambulance the responder personnel right. if it's not there to give them the information right. that they need then they're not able to perform right. the the jobs or even put themselves in life and death and, and,
1: situations. These, and these were these were times where lot, some of this stuff we, today we take our stuff for granted
0: this didn't exist <laughs> <laughs> i remember i'm old enough to remember some of these things i guess
1: these yeah. things didn't exist at that time frame and so and then here again being a young kid with the opportunity to work with teams of people you know very very smart people very technical people um, people who had insight to things and bringing them all together and having people work together as a team again i started this whole process of bringing vendors and suppliers and into because some of the other experiences i had because you know they, they they were they were costly you can't build something and think that you as your team inside the company are doing this because you're not doing it by yourself. You're doing it by other people and having those other people not feel like they were just a supplier, yeah. but a partner. Yeah. You know, some of the things that I started when I first did in my career that kind of separated some of the results that we had as, as, a, as an idea. Yeah.
0: Awesome. So I mentioned earlier my first book, From Orangutan right. to Rocket Scientist. Okay. And you're a rocket scientist, right? right? And, uh, but the story of the orangutan mm-hmm. is something that's followed me through my whole career. So, I used to have this PowerPoint slide that said there are three things required to change mm-hmm. tools, skills, and mindset. Mm-hmm. And I want to think about and sort of explore this a little bit that uh, there was one day I was at the Henry Dorley Zoo in Omaha, Nebraska. Mm-hmm. And I was sitting there at the orangutan cage. <laughs> and there's this orangutan. There's a story on the board, right? And and you can look it up on Google. People can look it up on Google. There was a story of an orangutan named Fu Manchu. And Fu Manchu kept escaping from the cage. Hmm. And the head zookeeper, so we've been talking about being CEOs and leaders of companies and stuff. (laughs) The head zookeeper, he was really upset, right? He's like, why are all my junior zookeepers, why are they letting the orangutans (laughs) escape from the cage? Why are they being so careless? Until one day, they saw Fu Manchu at the Entrance to the cage, and he was over there, he's playing around. And all of a sudden, click—the lock opens up, the door opens up. Fu Manchu runs out. All the other orangutans, will out. make a mess of the of the zoo. And they started to realize and think about this, and uh, and look at it and say, "How did he get out?" Hmm. Right. And as I'm sitting there, my kids are watching the uh, the animals at the zoo, and I'm reading this, thinking about a PowerPoint slide, <laughs> thinking about tools, skills, and mindset that. This, that Fu Manchu needed all three of these elements. Hmm. He needed tools, skills, and mindset. And uh, what they found when they tranquilized him was he had taken a piece of wire from the light. You know, they have the yep. cages. Yep. Yep. He'd taken a piece of wire from the light. And he used that to pick the lock. <laughs> right? And he got it open. He got out. And he took that piece of wire and he put it up by his gum line. Mm. Right? And that when they found him, he had hidden this piece of wire, his tool. Interesting. He also had the skills, right? Mm-hmm. If you gave a key to a zebra, what would he do with it?
1: Right, nothing.
0: Nothing. <laughs> he'd look at it, he'd probably look at it, snippet, lick it, try to eat it, and he'd be like, oh, that's not interesting, right? The, the zebra wants to get out of the cage. Right. Right? A zebra wants to get out of the cage, right. just as much as the orangutan does. But the zebra's not getting out of the cage, because you can give him a key, but he doesn't have the skills to do it. And then finally, it's the mindset. If that orangutan, if Fu Manchu was happy eating bananas and have somebody else clean up his poop from behind him, He'd still be in a cage. Right. I would have never read this story, right? Mm. So I read this story, and it came back to this: this uh, what's required to change—tools, mm. skills, and mindset. And so you've made this. You've made. <laughs> like, I'm the original orangutan, right? <laughs> but, but you've made these five—you know—these five transitions yeah. with different degrees. You keep upskilling yourself. You keep right. looking at and developing more and more skills, and bringing along more and more tools. And you've got this mindset of reinvention that doesn't exist in everybody, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. For for each of us, yeah, as I've gone through corporate and ent- entrepreneurial and right. all these things, as you think about that, as you think about people who are planning for retirement, they need mm. the tools, the skills, and the mindset. That's Those zookeepers, they took away that wire. They took away the, <laughs> the tool. He still had the skills. He still had the mindset, but right. he couldn't go anywhere. Right. So. You've made this transition where you're now helping people rocket science retirement, right? You're helping them to go through this. What are the tools, the skills and the mindset that people need planning for retirement?
1: So let me describe a little bit about myself in that relationship, but you're right. It's the, you need the skill and you need the tools, which I've now put a collage of different kinds of tools to help people think through their retirement. And then you need the mindset. And people, when they start thinking about retirement, they really got to be crystal clear on what is retirement and what does that vision of retirement look like for them. I so go they got to have a mindset. They've got to have that topic. Right. I go back and think about in in my days growing up in my early 20s and 30s and thinking about retirement and watching my parents retire and thinking that okay, I'm going to have this wonderful life. Of, Been able to quit working at 55 and go sit on my boat and just kind of enjoy life. That vision is gone.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So, you've learned from your experiences, here. All right, tell us about that. The
1: average senior today retires with $70,000 in their 401k and trying to live off of less than $2,000 a month on Social Security for the rest of their life. And when I start seeing people struggling with this, I start asking myself, you know, where where am I in that scenario, and how do I prepare myself for retirement? Because the surprise was for me, my sixty-first birthday. I said, "Wow, it's here. I'm not ready. (laughs) I'm not ready," and that scared me to death. And it got launched me into thinking about how do I help work with my family and how do we set money aside and start thinking about it. How do we get Kind of get a vision of what we are going to look like in retirement, and started putting some plans in place. I, you know, I got up my license. I started working on trying to make sure I had some understanding of. And then I went through and said to myself, "What I need is the right kind of tools." So I've got some software tools that I've purchased that I that I can simulate, like we did at NASA. <laughs> I can simulate your. So you got lives. the tools. I got You got the the tools, you got
0: tools <laughs> available to help right, people, to help people to think, you, think about it.
1: Yeah. Yep. So we got those tools, and then um, and then the other piece is is then that. Now I try to coach them on trying to put together a realistic mindset of what does retirement look like. Yeah. You know, my my dad taught me stay busy, so I plan to work till I'm 85, 95, 100 years old. Um, stay busy—that's the real key for, for for people in retirement. So people have got to be thinking about how do I put those three things in place as they go through that process in retiring. And that's yeah. the challenge, and that's where I offer my opportunity. So you know kind of go back to my story about the ministry? My dad wanted me to go into the church and be a pastor. My senior pastor wanted me to go into the church and work with people in the church. And But it wasn't my calling. This is my calling, mm. helping people think through that process of retiring. Yeah, I made this not only my business, but I've also made it my ministry as well.
0: Yeah, that's fantastic. So it's one of these things that I think there are a lot of people who dream about retirement, right? But But in order to get there, we have to put in place, we have to get some tools, right? We have Uh to understand basics of math and compound interest and things like that. Those are the tools, (laughs) right? right? right. Then we also have to have the skills, right? And sometimes that gets into habits and behaviors of how do I set money aside, right? Right. There's people like Dave Ramsey who kind of teach the habits and behaviors. Sometimes people criticize him because they say, well, his math isn't the perfect math. right? But but he also looks at it from the human habits and behaviors. What are the skills people need? How do I help them to create those, right? And then they've got to have the mindset that they're actually going to do it, right? right. If any one of these pieces is missing, if people don't understand compound interest or they don't develop the right habits and behaviors or they don't have the right, you know, sort of mindset that they're going to move forward and actually do something, then they're going to get to 65 years old and be and and, and, in and, that position. Right. They?
1: And so, so one of my clients came to me and said, we don't know and understand any of this stuff. And I've got this money set aside to retire. And so what do I do? And so we developed a relationship working with him through his medical plans first and then making sure that his life goals were set up and he understood where he was trying to go. And then we walked through the process of helping them understand how to put money aside and set it up for not only for this generation, but for the generation behind that and the generation behind it. Because if we go back and think about what our purpose on life is, it's to set up the next generation. And that's one of the things we want to do. Mm-hmm. Your children, my children, we want them to have a better life. My parents did the same thing for us. They wanted us to have a better life. And so that investment and so thinking through that whole process and making sure you set your children up and setting yourself up for a decent life. Cost of living is going up like mm-hmm. crazy. And so having the ability to be able to go to the grocery store in 2025 and then in 2050 to have the same kind of lifestyle that you had unfortunately in our world today you know there's there's going to be a bigger divide between those that have and those that have not and so that middle class is slowly shrinking away and so but people have i want to help people think through those strategies to kind of put some money aside that will generate income streams for life because like I said earlier, it's not a function of having monies in an income. It's a matter of how much money you're gonna have for the rest of your life that generates. You, take, you go to, to the day world, today's world, a senior who's 65 years old and is making um, probably around $30,000, $40,000, but they can convert whatever they've done up until now into an income stream of about $7,500 to $10,000 a month for the rest of their life guaranteed we're the ones that will do well. Yeah. That and that's a, and putting yourself in that position can be a little challenging, if, especially if you didn't start early. Um, I I love the story about uh, Colonel Sanders. You know, you know, you know <laughs> he
0: reinvented himself a few times.
1: A few times as well. Um he's, well, he's my hero because he created Colonel, uh, uh, Kentucky Fried Chicken at age 65, 66. Yeah. And so that... That story gave me a little hope that it wasn't too late to reinvent myself one more time. (laughs) One more time. Here again, you know, a degree at 62, my doctorate at 62, um, thinking about, uh, what you do, what do you do with the rest of your life? Hitting COVID, like a lot of people did. And I really got sick. I, I I almost died. Wow. Um, you know, that's a whole nother story, but. (laughs) Well, I, uh, I yeah. was died, and so, but, 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 but you have to be focused on kind of where you want to go when you start thinking about retirement.
0: Yeah. Well, Doctor John, thank you so much for coming <laughs> all the way here to Chicago, <laughs> out to the studio, out here to talk about rocket science retirement, to talk about the alignment of people and process to accelerate performance, and uh, and have just an amazing discussion. This has been <laughs> an absolute pleasure, and I'm so excited I got to you meet you, to yes. chat with you for the uh, past hour or two here and learn more about your story and hopefully share a lot of this story with the world. Uh, share with yeah. folks who uh, can really see how you've impacted the world through the through reinventions mm-hmm. and overcoming challenges, overcoming obstacles, to be a rocket scientist, to be a, a retirement specialist, to have so much passion for helping people. I think it's really amazing story. And I just want to thank you for spending the time today with us in the studio.
1: And let me leave you with this departing words. I taught my daughter this um, and it's a little cute saying that we kind of kill each other. Uh, we saw that funeral this weekend and, and I, so she made the comment about I'm still trying Dad." And I said, what did I teach you? I said, trying is for others doing is for you. And you have to have that kind of push for yourself. I've I've eliminated the word try in my vocabulary. I love it. And you have to have that kind of drive. You want the kind of career. You want the kind of impact you want to have on the world. Because we're all put here for a purpose. Find that purpose and deliver.
0: I love it. Well, thank you very much for your time, Dr. John. I sincerely (laughs) appreciate it. (laughs) That's a wrap. Thank you for listening to the Optics in Action podcast. If you are interested in the podcast, we welcome you to subscribe on your preferred platform, follow us on LinkedIn, or learn more at epsoptics.com. If you or someone you know is interested in applying to be a guest on this podcast, you can find more information at podcast.epsoptics.com. This is Ryan Weiss thanking you for listening to Optics in Action.